We're in 1 John chapter 1, so uh, before we get started here, if you want to get there, 1 John chapter 1, we're going to be looking at the first few uh, verses there, that chapter, actually the last few verses in that short chapter. Um, and as we begin, my pages are numbered, so if they blow off over here, you guys just catch them if you would, and then, you know, help me out there. All right. A few days ago, I was taking uh, the trash out at night uh, in my flip-flops, and the sky was, was cloud-covered completely. There was no moon. There was no stars. It really was pretty dark. I, in fact, I kind of, kind of noticed, wow, it's really, really dark out here. And I was walking out to the alley. The light sensor came on, and I could see, and I went past the garage out there to the alley and, and dumped all the trash it was kind of loud and it was kind of late. My neighbors probably weren't very happy, but uh, <laughs> I dumped all the trash and I started my way back and, and the light didn't come on. For some reason, the light sensor didn't work. And there's a number of steps and rocks and gravel and, and other things that are on the way back. And, and um, if you can imagine, it was very, very dark and the light didn't come on, so, so I, I misstepped. I actually missed a step, which I had put in years ago. I knew exactly where it was, but because it was dark, I missed. I tripped. I miscalculated my landing. I ended up stumbling over a couple of railroad ties and um, a landscape edging. It was like a multiple-level stumble. It was pretty bad. And uh, I thought for sure I would sprain my ankle. I didn't. Instead, I, I landed with my sandals and dog poop. So something I was trying to avoid. Uh, why? Because I couldn't see. I couldn't see. You know, every one of us, whether we are a parent or a child, has walked into or out of a dark bedroom, and we've tripped over a toy or, or a book that was left on the floor, or worse yet, we've had our bare feet pierced on those stupid Legos left on the floor. Why? Because we can't see in the dark. We don't see like cats or dogs. I've never seen any of our dogs limping out of one of my kids' rooms saying, those dang Legos. <laughs> Never seen a family cat like tripping over something or missing a step. In fact, we did experiments as kids to see how good cats are at landing. I won't go into details, but we did some experiments. Every 24 hours, we experience light and darkness. And most problems happen in the dark. We can't see, we stumble. There's more crime in the dark. There's more accidents in the dark. Getting lost when you're driving happens more often in the dark. We encounter more problems in the dark. But the Apostle John says in this first letter that a lot of people have a problem with light. We all have problems with darkness, but he says there's a lot of people that have a problem with light. And Jesus said in John chapter three, he said, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light. People in general have a problem with spiritual light. Kind of like Dracula, they can't stand the daylight and they avert their eyes when they, they walk into sunlight, spiritually speaking. Why is that? Why is that true? Well, John helps us understand our aversion to God's light and our fondness of darkness as he begins this first letter to the churches 
And so turn uh, to 1 John 5, uh, chapter 1, or type 1 John chapter 1 in your phone there. And we're going to look at verse 5 to begin with. John makes a proclamation about God, and then he follows it with five if statements. And as you read his letters, you'll, you'll notice that he loves to ping pong back and forth between positives and negatives, and he does that right here in chapter one. He talks about light and dark. Later in the letter, he talks about love and hate. And when he writes, he likes to ping pong back and forth between the truths that he is here teaching. And so here, he makes a proclamation about God, and then he applies it in five ways, in a negative way, a positive way, a negative way, a positive way, and a negative way. Maybe it's because I'm a math teacher, I picked up on that, but the five if statements go negative, positive, negative, positive, negative. In a sense, it's like a practical theology test, and the answers that he gives after his proclamation, the answers are false, true, false, true, false. So that's kind of the structure of this part of his letter. So let's read that starting in verse five. John says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. That's the first if, verse seven, second if. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Verse eight, third if. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in us or his word is not in us. So John begins with this declaration, this proclamation, and the rest of the chapter flows from that proclamation. These are not five separate statements. They flow from his proclamation. And it's a proclamation that dominates John's thoughts as he writes this letter to second-generation believers uh, at this, the church at large, which is spreading throughout the Roman Empire. He says, this is the message we have heard from him, and we declare to you God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And notice his proclamation was not something that he thought up himself. He said, we have heard it from him, and we're passing it on or declaring it to you. This proclamation came from a revelation from God. We would know very, very little about God if he wouldn't have revealed himself to us. We're told in creation we can understand something about his divine power. We can understand something about his eternity. But that's about it. God is a revealer. And so they heard this message from God and they declare it to us. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. And when we look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, especially the Old Testament, when God Almighty shows up in Earth's event, Earth's events, when he opens up heaven and he enters our world, there's always light. Moses and the burning bush, the children of Israel and their wanderings through the desert. Remember, they were led at night by a pillar of fire. When Jesus was transfigured on the mountain, Peter and John saw him gleaming in glory so that his clothes were 
as white as lightning. God is light. Now, that doesn't mean that God is a group of photons or all the colors of the rainbow. It doesn't mean that God is light, physical light. We don't worship wavelengths and photons. God is, according to 1 Timothy 6, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever, 1 Timothy 6. So when the Bible talks about God is light, it's speaking to his otherness and his character. He is so pure, he is like bright light. He is holy, as we sang, there is no sin. Therefore, there's no darkness. God is light. Light reveals, and God is the great revealer. And so John begins this letter to these Christians who are having some theological issues as second-generation believers, and he begins with this pillar of theology, who God is. Now, why does he begin his letter like that? Because good theology leads to good thinking. Proper theology leads to proper thinking. Bad theology leads to bad thinking. If we're thinking right, we're interpreting things right. And if we're not thinking right, we're not interpreting things right. We interpret ourselves poorly. We interpret our circumstances wrongly if our thinking and our theology is off. And so John begins with this very important starting point, the character of God. And then he gives five examples using these if statements. Three of them are bad, two of them are good, about how our theology and how we think about God affects our thinking, and then how our thinking affects our behavior. And every example begins with an if statement. And as we go through, I also want you to notice that the three bad examples all begin with these words, if we claim, if we claim, verses 6, 8, and 10, if we claim such and such, this is what is true. It's a bad starting point. And you'll see that as we start. Verse 6, verse 6, he makes his proclamation in verse 5, and then verse 6 he says, if we claim, if we claim to have fellowship with him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Now this is somebody, somebody who's walking in the darkness is somebody who is habitually sinning. There's a sin pattern that they continue, that they're choosing to continue in. They're walking in darkness. But at the same time, they're saying, I'm okay with God. I can continue to go through this pattern of sin, and I'm still in fellowship with God at the same time. Remember the proclamation, God is light, but they're walking in darkness. This is the sin of, of arrogance. For a person to think he can walk in darkness and walk in God's light at the same time means he doesn't really understand who God is. Or he may understand intellectually who God is, but practically he does not. Because God is holy, he is light, and in him there is no darkness. I'm going to skip verse 7 and go right to the next negative. We'll do the three negatives first and then come back to the positives. Let's go to verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. There are people that claim 
There is no such thing as sin. We work with them. We go to school with them. They're in our families. Nobody's perfect. So it's not a big deal. Like, what is sin? There's no sin because truth is relative. But if we go back to the revelation that John got and the proclamation that John got, there is light and there is darkness. That's just the truth. There's light and there's darkness. To make a claim that there is no darkness is to not only ignore God's revelation, but it's also to ignore basically the entire sweep of human history. There is darkness. There is sin. And sin is the best diagnosis to describe the problems that we're in as, as, as a world and the problems that we're in as, as people. To deny it is to be, John says, deceived. If God is light and there is no darkness at all in him, that means there is light and there is darkness. We can't claim that there is no sin. The third and the last negative example of John's proclamation is in verse 10. So 6, 8, and 10 were his negatives. Here's the third claim and the third piece of bad theology. He says, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him, God, out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. I love John as he speaks, as he writes, because he, he does so in, in such a way that it's like black and white. It's just black and white. Not only does a bad theology on sin affect us, it puts us in a position of, and this is a dangerous position, of calling God a liar. How so? Because God's holy and we're not. If a person denies his or her sin that he has sinned or considers that sin is no big deal, then they're saying God is a liar because God says sin's a big deal. Because he's all light, he's holy, he's just, he has a blinding purity about him. So sin's a big deal. In fact, Paul says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, for all have sinned, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this is the dark truth about us, and it's the bright truth about God and his glory. So we're going to pong right now from John's pings. So he kind of ping-pongs, right? We did the three pings, now let's go do the pongs. That's not the way you're supposed to play ping-pong, but that's the way we're looking at it today. Let's look at the two positive examples of right theology and right thinking and what it brings to us. Remember the proclamation of verse 5, God is light and in him there's no darkness, but we have darkness in us, so how can we relate to a God who is all light when we carry darkness in us? Verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Amen? Walking in the light. Walking in the light of God means we're placing ourselves in his care. We're submitting to his leadership. We're following his spirit's prompting. And when his light reveals what needs to change, we go about changing. His light gives us direction, kind of like a lighthouse. His light shows the potholes in our road, like a bike lamp. 
When we place ourselves under his light, we have the opportunity to be purified from all sin. Now, how does that work? Because I mean, God is light, and I'm in sin, and I'm in darkness. That's why Jesus came. Jesus builds the bridge to his Father between our darkness and his light. He builds the bridge using his own blood. When we walk over that bridge, he purifies us completely. We begin to walk like Jesus. We begin to walk as he is in the light. We begin to look like Jesus. There's a hallway at my school that, that is like a tunnel that faces directly east. And if I get to school early enough and at a specific time, as the sun rises, it literally appears in the glass window at the end of the hall. And it is blinding. It just lights up the entire hallway. It like reflects off the wax on the floor. And, and you literally, you have to cover your eyes as you walk down this, this hallway. It's actually blinding. And the other day, I was walking down that blinding hallway, and I turned to see my friend John, uh, who was down the hallway behind me, and I said, yo, John. And uh, John gave that, hey, hi, kind of hi when you don't know who the person is who's saying hello to you. You know, it's like, hey, buckaroo, how's, you know, how's it going? You don't know who they are, right? Um, my name's not buckaroo, but um, I said, hey, it's Dave. And he laughed, and he said, I couldn't tell it was you because of the light. I couldn't tell it was you because of the sun. When we walk in the light, as he is in the light, people will see Jesus. People will see the light around us. And so now you can see John's declaration has very, very practical effect on our lives. God is light, and in him there is no darkness. And when we walk in the light, we begin to walk like Jesus, and he purifies us from all sin. In his gospel, he described it as abiding in Christ, living with Christ. Wherever we go, we're living with Christ. And we experience this cleansing of our darkness. But we also experience fellowship. Our fellowship with one another, our commonness with one another is amplified when we are walking in him and walking in his light. If you have a right theology of God, you'll know what to do with your sin. You'll know what to do. Our fifth and final if is probably one of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture. It's a Definitely a positive example of right theology and right thinking, but it, it was a verse when I was 17 years old, and I had it, had it memorized, but I really didn't have it understood. When I was in college, someone explained this to me, and it, it revolutionizes your walk with God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now the word confess has a number of different meanings in our world and in the church world, but it simply means to agree with. When we confess something, we're agreeing that this is true. 
And so if we agree with God about our sins, if we agree with that, that in him is no darkness, but in us there is darkness, if we agree with God that since he is all light, we can't approach him, and if we agree with God that the blood of Jesus pays the price for our sin, then God is faithful to his promise. He is a faithful God to his promise. And he is just with my sin. What's that mean? That means that he has to punish sin, but he did punish sin in Christ on my behalf. So God is faithful to his promise, and he is just with my sin, and now able to forgive my sins and purify me from all unrighteousness. You know what that means? That means I don't have to beg God to forgive me. Please, 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 please forgive me. God, this sin, I did it again. Or this was so horrific. Or I thought this thought. Please, I, find it in your good nature, God, to forgive me. Please. I don't have to beg. I have to confess. I don't have to appease God with remorse or promises to not do it again in order for him to forgive me. I simply confess. I don't do good works to get him to like me. And then maybe he'll forgive me in a bit after he kind of punishes me for a while, puts me in time out. I simply need to confess. So I say to God, God, I agree with you about the sin of mine. It, it has separated me from you, but I also agree with you that Jesus' death was for me and it justly covers my sin, all of it. And I agree with you, Lord, and you faithfully forgive all of it. I don't have to beg God. I simply and I gratefully confess. You know what else verse 9 means? It's also in verse 7. I'm forgiven of all my sin. Verse 7 and 9 say the same thing. I'm forgiven of all unrighteousness. The confessor, the one who walks in the light, lives guilt-free, remorse-free, free from their past, free from their mistakes, because all of his, all of her sin is gone. People, we got to grasp that. Amen. We have to grasp that all of our sin is gone. It's the Christian who can live psychologically free from guilt. When we come to grips with that awesome truth that that black cloud that kind of covers our hearts disappears. Our day seems brighter, and we have a spring in our step because all of our sin is gone. The burden of our sin, as the song says, is rolled away. We can wake up in the morning clean. We can go to bed at night clean before God. And we can walk through our whole day clean before him. Because our confession of the truth cleanses us from all sin. David, King David, has some major, major sins. And out of his walk with God, his understanding of God and his forgiveness, he wrote some psalms. And Psalm 32 said, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. He was hiding his sin. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer, like yesterday. 
But then I acknowledged my sin. Here's his confession. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my congressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. He was free. When we confess our sins, we don't just say, I'm sorry, God. That's remorse. That's not confession. In confession, we also confess the forgiveness that God justly and lovingly and faithfully gave us in Christ. So David's prayers in Psalm 51 when he was confessing his sin are fulfilled in our confession in Christ. David says in Psalm 51, verse 7, he prays, Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. In Christ, we're, we're clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. In Christ, we're whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. We can have joy and gladness when we confess. Create me a pure heart, O God. He has in Christ. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. He has given us his spirit. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And then I will teach transgressors your way so that sinners will turn back to you. We confess our sins and Christ covers them all. We can turn around and be teachers. We don't have to mull around and with our heads down and, well, maybe in a little while I can feel better. Christ forgives all of our sin and all of our unrighteousness. David continues and he says, my tongue will sing and my mouth will declare your praise. How? How can that happen after we've sinned? When we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can go on singing. We can go on declaring his praise because he's he has forgiven our sins through our confession. God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. How do we respond to that truth? I mean, we can intellectually respond to that and say, I got that answer right on the theological test. But how should we personally respond to that truth? In his old age, uh, some say his 90s, the Apostle John was given a revelation, and it he was commanded to write it down. It's the last book in your Bible. It's called the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in chapter 1, he encounters the resurrected, glorified Jesus. We sang a little bit about it today. Listen to what John sees and how he responds. Revelation chapter 1, and it's in verse 12. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. God is light, and in him there's no darkness. Verse 17, this is how he responds. You ready? When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. When I saw him, I fell at his feet 
as though dead. I was floored. Do you fear God? You should. John did. And he knew Jesus. He's a consuming fire, and Proverbs tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you don't fear God on some level, then you don't understand who God is. That he is a blazing light of purity, and in him there's no darkness at all, and in me there is. So if I don't fear God at some level, there's something wrong with my thinking. I'm blinded to my own darkness. John said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But then, <laughs> but then, verse 17, then he placed his right hand on me. What did that feel like? This one that he was floored when he saw him, when he saw all the light and all the glory, and he was on the ground as though dead. He puts his hand on him. And he said, don't be afraid. I understand the fear. <laughs> but Jesus says, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead, and now look. John, look. I'm living. I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death in Hades. You know that right hand on John's shoulder had a scar on it. It was the scar of sacrifice, a scar from the cross where holy Jesus died. The death of a sinner, the death of darkness, so that you and I and all of our sins could be forgiven. He said, I was dead, and now look. Look, John, look. And all of us, we need to look. He's dangling the keys of death and Hades because he has complete control over them. The one who holds the keys has control. He completely overpowered our greatest enemy, which is death. He is a blazing light, and he has overcome darkness, even the darkness of death. He says, John, look. Well, this is the confession for anybody who places their hand in his hand. In his last public address, before he went to the upper room with, with his disciples, Jesus shouted, I have come into the world as a light so that no one no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Let's pray. What an awesome promise, Jesus. We don't need to stay in darkness. We thank you. We're grateful. And I'm going to ask, as our heads are bowed, that you take a time to pray right now. You may need to make a confession. Bring your darkness into the light. Confess that sin, whatever that sin is, name it, and he will cleanse you.
bring your darkness into the light and experience what it means to be able to live guilt-free as a believer. And maybe as you were here in this beautiful setting, you realized that you've been flippant about God. Have you lost your fear? Have you lost your fear of God? When we lose our fear of God, we lose our fear of what sin can do to us. And so confess, if you would. Agree with God today that he is, as we sang, he truly is holy, 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 and you're not. Bring your theology and your thinking into the right place, into the revelation of God as, as he gave it to John. We thank you for the love, Father, that, that brought your holiness to our unholy planet in the person of Jesus. We thank you for your love that brought your holiness and your light to our darkened hearts, to my darkened heart. Could you instill in us a healthy fear of who you really are? And remind us that your hand is always on our shoulder. You're tempering our fear with the deep love and the great power of Jesus, the overcomer, who's the first and the last, the living one, who was dead but who is now alive forever and ever. Do this in us, we pray. Amen.